Welcome to the Eastman Dental Podcast, where we hope to inspire, motivate and provide education from our guests' experience. This week, we are delighted to be joined by Ben Tai. At the Eastman Dental Hospital, Josh and I are hugely privileged to work with some amazing colleagues. These people inspire and motivate our students on a daily basis. It's about a team approach, so it's no longer the clinician, the patient, and then just someone in the background. Um, It's about incorporating everyone into the appointment. Ben qualified as a hygienist and therapist at Newcastle University Dental Hospital. He went on to UCLan to do a top-up degree. He's completed an MA Oxford Brooks. And now he's just about to start a doctorate. I just have an interest for education, so it's not really a chore for me. I think with anything, I'll do it if I enjoy it. If I don't enjoy it, then that's usually the time that I need to think, okay, this maybe isn't the correct path for me. We're super excited to meet you and talk to you about your career journey. With your hosts, Josh Hudson and Julia Bruin. So what attracted you to a career in dentistry? Okay, so long story. Um, My older sister is actually a dental hygienist and she was my main inspiration for becoming a dental hygienist or a dental therapist. Originally, I wanted to be a paramedic. I wanted to be a paramedic all the way through school till I was about 17. And one of her friends was also a paramedic. So I asked her what it was like and she discouraged me strongly from doing it. So I was a bit lost, went back to the drawing board, didn't really know what I wanted to do. Um, went to go see a careers advisor who told me I needed to be more realistic in my career expectations that I probably wasn't going to achieve dental hygiene um, because it was a really competitive course. So done my A-levels, all my friends went off to university and I again felt a bit lost. So my older sister helped me. She got me a job as a trainee dental nurse in a practice and I worked there for two years. So I trained as a dental nurse beforehand and then um, worked with a variety of different clinicians, different practices, NHS, private, and then I decided to apply for Newcastle and I got on. So that was my long story cut short. (laughs) So that's quite interesting uh, for a few different things. So first of all, the whole paramedic and then being put off doing that. And then the career advisor as well. Do you think that conversation with that career, career advisor really changed whether you were going to apply to do you think that affected your decision or do you think that you were always going to take that little gap before pursuing a particular thing um i think it was definitely a blow to my confidence mm-hmm. i'm not ne- necessarily sure it's a, it was a bad one um obviously i was 17 18 uh, a bit naive yeah. um so yes it was a blow but i think it made me realize actually i do need to work a lot harder if i want to actually get into dental hygiene i think for newcastle there were only 10 spaces so it was actually really competitive, yeah. Ben, it seems like your, uh, your becoming a dental nurse initially was maybe more to allow you to go on to study further and be become a hygienist or a therapist. I'm quite interested as to how that experience, although maybe quite short, of being a dental nurse um, has benefited you now that you've gone on to study further and become a, a therapist. Absolutely. I think the skills that I... Um, obtained from being a dental nurse were invaluable. Mm-hmm. Um, my patient management skills were better than maybe some that weren't dental nurses beforehand. Um, also, the dynamics of the treatment room. I think 
when mm. I uh, what, now when I get a patient into the surgery, um, I will introduce my adult nurse. I'll say this is I don't know Mandy or Ezra. Um, she's going to be helping me today. Um, it's about a team approach. So it's no longer the clinician, the patient, and then just someone in the background. Yeah. Um, it's about incorporating everyone into the appointment. And I think that's really important for morale. Um, I've been a nurse. I've been that kind of invisible person in a surgery. So I was either invisible or I was asked by patients, are you training to be a dentist? Because I was male and I, yeah. I, I'm not um, yeah. the normal kind of figure that you would see as a dental nurse, they, they couldn't understand that. So um, yeah, I mean, it was a very different experience for me as the only male in my class um, of, mm. of dental nurses, as the only male in my exam of 300 dental nurses. Wow. So I th yeah, just coming at, at it from a different viewpoint, hopefully, I think there are a few ma more male dental nurses now. Yeah. Um, so again, the career is diversifying, but I've got first-hand experience at how crucial that nurse is in the appointment. I've also got first-hand experience about how sometimes not valued um, within the practice. Yeah. Um, and as being a, a nurse mentor for trainee dental nurses in practice, I've got first-hand experience of how hard they have to work. So they also have to be working five days a week, longer hours than us as clinicians, because they're there early, they leave later. And then all the work that they have to do, maybe a weekend, um, the portfolio write-ups. And the depth of knowledge is incredible. Yeah. Um, and I think even from a public point of view, are you the one that sucks to spit? It's it's so insulting yeah, um, yes. when, you, when you know everything that they know and they have so much more to offer. So even, for, I can't do everything in the surgery, but I can provide them a little platform um, just to, to make them feel a bit more valued. Yeah, I, I agree with with what you said there. The, the level of knowledge is is a lot higher than maybe a lot Absolutely. of people remember or, or think because I've had dental nurses ask me for help with, you know, revising and stuff. And I'm, wow, this is the stuff that you're having to learn. And they're like, yeah. And I don't think necessarily people realize that. And again, you know, it's valuing everybody. And I think you having that experience, it seems like has allowed you to then value people going forward. And it's important that everybody else takes that on board as well. Absolutely. I think you make some really interesting points, Ben, about working with a dental nurse. And I have certainly worked with a dental nurse for the last 15 years. So I've been very fortunate in that sense, because that was perhaps before um, what has now become, hopefully, uh, the new norm that people are expecting to work with a dental nurse. And certainly um, COVID has been our friend in this sense, isn't it? With people now working in general dental practice and all over, with a dental nurse by the side of them and, and very, very valued member of the team. Absolutely, I, I could not work without one. Um, the organization throughout the day, obviously massive help, but from a medical legal point of view, um, we should be working with assistants. I think it's so difficult to, to do our job. Um, I, I hear some awful stories about some poor hygienists who are having to work alone, um, upstairs there's no one else around if there was a medical emergency um yes it might take an extra 30 seconds to to get someone but if you've got a nurse there you could potentially start yeah. sooner mm -hmm. um it should just be considered normal that a dentist maybe wouldn't work without a nurse 
for an exam, but we are, we are expected to provide treatment uh, yes. without a nurse. And mm. I think when you look at it like that, it, it goes from history um, where it was the norm, but things change, things move on. Um, litigation is a huge issue within our profession. We're all fearful of it. Um, so we need more nurses, really. We need to work with them. Yeah, let's champion those nurses. Absolutely. So if we think back to your time as a fairly newly qualified hygienist therapist out of Newcastle, can you perhaps describe in three words those early years? Overwhelmed, so massively overwhelmed. Um, Even though I had experiences working as a nurse in practice um, and obviously in the hospital, lots of different departments, going out into practice and being responsible for that surgery, that patient, Mm-hmm. everything falling on your shoulders yeah um i did i felt massively overwhelmed number two was probably fear um in the sense of again it was a lot of responsibility um yeah. lots of litigation around um and i was just fearful that all my hard work could easily be taken away um and number three was excitement so this was the start of my career this is something that I really really wanted to do and I loved doing it throughout university so I thought right this is the the foundation I can only build on this yeah I I think a lot of people will resonate with those three words I mean I think fearful is something that um is is definitely perhaps more profound in those early years but you know it doesn't stop us from um having those feelings even uh, through our whole practicing career, really, doesn't no, it? Absolutely, I think it means that yeah. we're taking things quite seriously. And, yeah. and I think that's important to, to take seriously. After all, we've got a patient uh, that we're caring for. Yeah, exactly. And then, so how long after you qualified initially was it before you went back to UCLan? So I went back to UCLan about five years after I qualified. Okay, so I'm quite interested. What was the kind of turning point, the point that made you decide to do that essentially, I guess? Yeah. So I did love the career. I loved it throughout university and I loved it at the start, but the monotony of, I felt like a a machine almost. Mm -hmm. Um, It was time constraints, had to do a lot of things myself. Um, I didn't have a nurse at that time. And I just lost my love of dental hygiene. Um, And all my history, so my nursing, my obviously my diploma Mm -hmm. um, was all dental related. I actually thought if I need to leave this career, what else can I do? Because everything that I've studied so far has been dentistry. So I thought if I go back and get a degree um, instead of a diploma, top my diploma up to a degree, then I've got more options if I if I do need to go somewhere else or if I do need to do something else. So can you perhaps talk us through that, that process of topping your diploma up? Because I'm sure that lots of listeners will be thinking, hmm, that might be something that I might want to do. So can you... Yeah, so you've got a certain amount of credits for a diploma. um, And if you want to do a degree, then you need the top-up credits. So it was three modules. Um, The first module, I can't remember the name of it, but it was a lot of anatomy, physiology. Second module was teaching or facilitating teaching in a healthcare environment, which is what obviously gave me my love for teaching. (laughs) And number- We'll come back to that. (laughs) And the third module was the dissertation. So we had to do um, a dissertation, a bit of research piece. It was a, a mini systematic review. Okay, and how long did that take that process of topping up? You could do it in a year, 
there were some um, students that had done it in a year if they were part-time. Obviously, I was still working full-time and I was traveling up on the Friday night and doing it on a Saturday. So I decided to do mine over two years. Um, so I'd done the first two modules in the first year. The third the module, the dissertation, I'd done in the second year. And you were doing all of this while working? I was working full-time. I was doing Monday to Saturday, except the days that I was at uni and Preston. I'd take the day off on the Saturday to go. Wow, that's a that's a that's a busy man. Very I had Sundays off. God, well, um, yes. <laughs> <laughs> so you're obviously, you know, very committed to that process. Um, would you would you recommend that to other people? I know Julia mentioned there would be people listening that will think, oh, you know, that's something that I could do. Is that something one hundred percent, one hundred percent? I would do it all again. I think if you are a hygienist um, and you just like to learn. I think it's an excellent thing to do. You do learn a little bit that you could apply into practice. So your anatomy, physiology, it's a good refresher. Mm -hmm. If you are thinking about teaching or you are interested in getting into education, then the facilitating healthcare um, education module really, really, I found it really helpful and enlightening actually. Um, and obviously the dissertation, if you're interested in research, it's a good little sample of, of different potential avenues that you could go down obviously once you get your degree. So, so you're very busy then, you're still very busy now. So you yeah. work, uh, we're very lucky to have you work with us part of the week. Um, you still pursuing some postgraduate education, but we'll get onto that shortly. Um, but what, what are you up to the rest of the week? Do you work in practice now? Do you not work in practice? What's your setup at the moment? So work two days here at the Eastman. I work three days in practice. So I'm working as a dental therapist, private multidisciplinary practice in Oxford. Okay. Will you tell us a little bit more about, about that practice, how you got into that, how how that's going? Yep. So I've been at that practice since I qualified. Um, Interesting. 2011, back end of the financial crisis. Obviously, Northeast, there wasn't a lot of jobs. Everyone at the time looked at Gumtree for jobs, and I think there were about four. Okay. Um, so I, I was working in Newcastle when I first graduated um, on, a, on a Monday. And that was it. That's all I could find. And then I saw a job advertised part-time in Oxford. I applied, got a, got a call asking me to go for an interview. And then I went for the interview and I was offered full-time. Um, and I've been there ever since. And I do really love that practice. Um, obviously I love the, the staff that I work with, but it's changed a lot over the years. Um, again, I, I qualified, when I qualified, I didn't have a nurse. Um, shorter appointments. Now I've got longer appointments, a lot more autonomy. I have my own nurse. I'm well looked after. So yeah, it's taken 10 years, 10, uh, almost 11 years to get to that point. But yeah, it's a good practice. Sounds as though it's been worth the wait though. Absolutely. absolutely. And, and I think that, you know, I mean, we're talking about the last 10 years, but where do you envisage the next 10 years then? I mean, do you think that um, dental therapy is going to just continue to grow and grow and grow? I do, I do. I think there are some um, crucial changes that need to happen, um, but I do think therapists will be used a lot more. I am a passionate advocate for therapy. I do love the profession. I think we are underutilized. We have so much more to give um, and we just need that opportunity to be able to do that. Myself, where I see myself in 10 years, who knows? I didn't, I, I didn't think I would be here 10 years ago. Um, I do think that I'd probably keep my hand in clinical, but I think I'd move more towards the education side of things. 
Interesting. I think, so from what you've said there and from what you said earlier about that point in your career where you were potentially a little bit disillusioned, it seems like you, you know, you're not there now, but there was that point where you were disillusioned, you decided to do the top-up course to give you those options. If there was uh, a colleague who was feeling in that position that you were in then, who's feeling in a bit of a rut, who's feeling maybe a bit disillusioned with the, with the profession, what advice would you give to them to maybe get to a point maybe where you're like at now, where you're a little bit happier and a little bit more comfortable with uh, being in the profession? I think the first thing that I always say, if someone's become a little bit disillusioned or they feel like they're in a rut, is just go on a CPD course. That's the easiest thing because you're around colleagues. Everyone's probably going to feel the same. Mm-hmm. It's good just to chat, um, vent a little, but you're in that learning stage. Um, that would be my initial advice but that's been quite hard with COVID. really really hard really you know, hard especially so, um, in person as well yeah. i think everyone's zoomed out everyone's teams out yeah. um, and you just don't get that perhaps interaction that you would do perhaps during the lunch break or yeah. you know at the end of a conference while you're all gathering your papers and just sort of it, saying hello to each other and, and exactly. making plans for the social we're a very social profession we talk all day. Uh, I don't know if there's another profession that talks as much as what we do, but we have like eight hours of chatting. Um, so I think to do that with colleagues, it has been a bit of a miss. And I do think that um, the last two years have been tough on our morale. Um, and I think, so as a dentist, I think generally speaking, we're quite lucky. There's normally a few associates in the practice that you can kind of bounce a few ideas off and that kind of know the situation that you're in but maybe as a hygienist or a therapist if you're the only hygienist or therapist in that practice I mean obviously you can talk to the dentist about things but it's not somebody else that's kind of in exactly that same position that you're in so I think I'm sure it can be quite lonely for, for you guys potentially well, in and, practice. and I don't know what how you feel Ben but you know I, I definitely have um, talked to colleagues who've said that they are the only um, hygienist or the only therapist in the practice and we're sort of that middle person in the practice aren't we we're, 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 we're not yeah. the sort of the principal. politics is very different yeah. <laughs> people seem to come to talk to us about you know the concerns the worries um, and that's both from the people that might be considered under us in other words our dental nurses and our receptionists and then we're also getting um a need for support by our dental colleagues, our dentists that we're working alongside. So I think we're in quite a privileged position almost. In I a way. agree. I think our room really is the, the hotspot of the practice. <laughs> it's where everyone likes to come. Even patients prefer to come to us, I would say, as a, as a whole. Um, you have, we've got dentist colleagues that come and chat to us in our, in our surgery, nurses, receptionists. Yeah. Yeah. It's like the agony ant room. Everyone comes to the, the hygienist or the therapist. So CPD, try and speak to people for the first piece of advice for those colleagues in Denver. Is there anything else that you'd recommend? Because, I mean, it, I'm sure we'll get onto it in more, but it seems like you've gotten to a point now where you've found that kind of little niche, niche in education, that interest that you have. Uh, do you have any advice for somebody else to try and find their niche? Is that the advice to try and find something that you're interested in? Yeah, I think you need to be true to yourself. Um, I think there is a lot of pressure a lot of pressure, especially on new grads. Everyone needs to get a social media account. Everyone needs to yeah. be an influencer. Um, and if they haven't got certain followers, no one's going to be interested. I think. But do you think that with that? Sorry to interrupt you there, but I I wonder whether that's because we've had two years of of not being at conference, and people are now deciding that they have to perhaps be a bit more creative about yeah. the way that they 
perhaps share their information, communicate with people. And I think that's good. I think it has increased um, certainly hygiene and therapy awareness from a lot of people being on social media. And I don't think social media is a bad thing. I just think the pressure associated with people wanting to be successful is a bad thing. Yeah. Because mm. they're, they're, they're good clinicians that maybe just need a little bit more experience or it might not be the right thing for them. Um, and it's the pressure that they're putting themselves to, to be something that I think is hard. I think it, I, I would find it really hard as a new grad with the, the added pressure. I think that's definitely true. I think that goes back to what you're saying about speaking to people as well, because if the, your only interaction with the, you know, your colleagues is social media where it's perfect anatomy on restorations. Exactly, exactly. And, you know, you're not achieving that, which let's be honest, a few years after graduation, you're not going to be. You need that uh, kind of grounding, if you like, of speaking to someone at your level that's like, oh yeah, I messed up something the other day or I had real difficulty with this, that or the other. Exactly. And it's important to you, get that. You don't see the mistakes, you only see the good things. Exactly. So I think that having that in the, the back of your mind would put added pressure on what is already a very tough few years when you first graduate. Yeah. So if you, if you think about perhaps dental education or the, the dental industry, either one, do you think there's anything out there that we should all start doing or, or stop doing in relation to what we've just all been talking about? I think we need to, I think certainly as a profession, we maybe need to value our knowledge a lot more and our skill set. Um, that's something that I do try and incorporate within my kind of post-qualification teaching um, because I do think that's lost quite quite quickly once we qualify we get into a rut um, and going back to my previous experience probably where I was as well I didn't value my, myself or my, my trade so to mm -hmm. speak um, I did become this kind of machine that was just doing treatment but it sounds like perhaps that wasn't in the best environment. It sounded like you were, you've worked in a couple of different practices and you've said that you've been in one practice since the day, almost yeah. since you qualified. So clearly if you've got the right environment, that makes a colossal difference. Absolutely, you do need supportive colleagues. Um, I think your colleagues, you, you're with them a lot more than, um, I'm with them a lot more than I am my own family. <laughs> yeah. So you do need to kind of gel with them and become cohesive and work as a team. I think not being not being afraid to make mistakes. Um, yeah, they're it, not mistakes, are they? Yeah, it, they're opportunities. Exactly, it's okay to to make a mistake, or it's okay not to feel okay. Um, again, it's the pressure that we put on ourselves to be perfect all the time. And a happy practice makes for happy patients, right? Exactly. Yeah, exactly. My patients love coming to see me <laughs> just for a chat, if anything else. <laughs> So um, we talked about this, uh, the top up uh, element of your career where you decided to go back and get that degree and the reasons for that. And then you decided to go and do some more postgraduate training. I did. And you decided to go and do your MA in education. So what's the story behind that? Why, how did that come about? I just finished, I just got the results from my top up in March mm. and I applied for my job here in April and then um, I got a call in July to say that I'd been accepted which was great I thought fabulous 
but I don't know how to teach. So <laughs> I enrolled onto a um, postgrad certificate in higher education mm-hmm. at um, Oxford Brooks, which isn't far from my practice now. So I thought I could go there in the evening um, or as COVID hit online yeah. um, <laughs> and study. So I, I done that first. I put my postgrad certificate in higher education, I completed, and then it was just that hunger for knowledge. It's just a, well, what else could I can I do? I, I want to know a little bit more about assessment. I would like to know a bit more about um, how to implement this. So I used those credits to then go on and do my master's, which was amazing, enlightening, extremely, extremely difficult because it was pandemic. Um, and a lot of it moved online. And when you do postgrad study, you do need your supervisor. Um, I don't want to say beck and call, but you, you contact your supervisor a lot um, asking for advice and, and help because that's what they're there for. Mm-hmm. Doing yeah. that over Zoom, whilst there's a, a global pandemic and you are trying to work, trying to get students qualified, uh, ringing patients in your practice. It was, yeah, because we was were all difficult. obviously working during COVID. I mean, yeah. so it's not like, I'm sure I didn't some the of these people, off. yeah, some of these people that you might have been doing your MA with might not have been in that same environment. Exactly. So, yes. so it was a very, very challenging time. I ended up leaving everything till pretty last minute. Um, so I had <laughs> Doesn't six Doesn't make weeks. you a bad person. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Every time I do any study, I always think I'm going to be prepared, but left it to last minute. Um, but it, it, again, that wasn't a bad thing because I really immersed myself in it for six weeks. Um, yes, it was very tiring, had to meet deadlines, but I do feel like I got a lot out of it. So you've now, I mean, my goodness, we were just <laughs> talking about a master's, but you know, let, let's talk about the here and now. I mean, and the here and now is that you are about to start a PhD. I so am. I mean, goodness, this thirst and hunger for uh, continuing education is something to be admired, inspired, and be motivated by. You know, please tell us more. Again, I don't know whether it's that that careers advisor in the back of my head that said <laughs> you're never going to achieve. You need to be more realistic. That's churning me on. Um, done my masters, done my dissertation. Was interested in the outcome, so it was about assessment literacy within dental hygiene and therapy um, institutions across the UK. So I wanted to look a bit more about assessment and how it was implemented and what the tutors knew about assessment. One of the big things that came out of it was actually surrounding mental health and the pressures on tutors to deliver uh, and mark assessment and how it's often not incorporated within the day. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's an additional task that usually gets taken home. So I found that really interesting. It's not what I set out to, to research. It's what came out of it. Um, Ooh, and, a happy accident about assessment. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so I sat on it. Um, I got my, my grade in March and I wasn't going to do anything. I was going to have a year off. That was that was it. I needed a break. I'm delighted to hear that, that you wanted a break. That I, I, I wanted a break for a short, short period of time. <laughs> so um, I started thinking about it and started looking into what, what else I could do after. I never thought that I'd do a doctorate. Um, it's, it wasn't something that was on my radar. And I looked again on Oxford Brooks, that's where I did my master's, and I had a, an educational doctorate. So it's different to a PhD in the sense that you do two years academic theory, you're with a group of um, 
educationalists who are all probably high points in the, the profession or the career and they're wanting to progress on to the next step. Um, and you are trained to be a researcher. So it's how to research. You're preparing your, your interests to how to present that, how to get it published. So we do two years of, of that. Or I've almost completed year one. So I've got another year. And then we do our independent study. And that's when we get allocated our second supervisor. So we're working under supervision in year one and year two. And then we've got a second supervisor in year three and year four. And then that that should hopefully be it. Who knows what's happening? I, I, I think not. I think, you know, you, you don't Do seem else. to have, you have energy to keep going and going and going. I just have a, a, an interest for education. So it's not really a chore for me. I think with anything, I'll do it if I enjoy it. If I don't enjoy it, then that's usually the time that I need to think, okay, this maybe isn't the correct path for me. I go back to the drawing board and then see where I go. Um, yeah, I think people sometimes carry on things that they maybe don't enjoy and it becomes not what they expected. I think it, some might say, I guess, is unusual for you know a hygienist or therapist to do this much postgraduate study. Um, I mean, I don't know whether you get, agree with that know, or whether that's what you get time. a lot. Yeah. I get this all the time. So what's it going to, what, is it going to add anything to what you can do? No, but it, it doesn't add it to anything. My, my GDC scope of practice isn't going to increase, mm. but my knowledge will increase. I am networking, I'm speaking to different people from different environments, different backgrounds. Now, obviously, I think as an educator, the broader your mind, I think the the better teacher that you're going to become. And you talked about and and clinician to be yeah, fair, actually, you know. I mean, I, I, no, yeah, because actually, I think, right. like you're saying, when you when you're talking to, I mean, absolutely, I take your point about your education role, but actually, your patients will benefit because, yeah. in that sense, that you will be talking to other people, and therefore, sharing knowledge is always part of those conversations, isn't it? And I think it's good to be. I don't want to say a role model, but to be someone that is kind of showing the students that there is more to being in a surgery, skilling and polishing. If that's what yeah. you want to do, then that's absolutely fine. That's what we've trained you to do. But just so you know that there are other options that you can explore um, if you want to. A whole host, aren't there? Yeah. A whole host of Loads of different things that you can do. And that's exactly why you're here. And that's exactly what exactly, that's you. Exactly. we want. Gone full circle. Yeah, you want people to be aware of that. And I think you said about your careers advisor, you know, maybe pushing you on a little bit in terms of going forward. And people generally might just have this feeling of, I, I can't do that. That's not something that I can do. That's not something that anybody expects me to do. And I think it's important that everyone's aware that that's not the case and you can do whatever yeah, you want to do. If you want to go and do postgraduate education, then you can do it. There's no reason not to. And somebody obviously made a judgment about you and you've definitely proven yeah. them wrong. And I think plenty of other people can can follow that 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 role model, if you like, of what you're doing. Hopefully. <laughs> Great, inspiring story. Thank you very much, Ben. So we've talked about kind of your education role from an academic point of view. But what I'd like to touch on, and we, we can all get involved in this conversation because we're all clinical tutors here at, at the Eastman Dental Hospital. What led you to decide that you wanted to apply for the job here and then you obviously got the job? And and would you recommend other people get involved in education? So I definitely recommend um, people getting involved in education. Mm -hmm. It doesn't have to be a role in undergrad education. Um, 
It could be running a CPD course on something that you find really interesting, mm-hmm. um, an experience that maybe you have in clinical practice, but someone else might not have. Um, I think when, you, when you're in education, you value your knowledge a lot more and you underestimate what you know and what someone else might not. So being able to pass that on, it's obviously mm-hmm. um, really helpful. What made me apply for this job? It was in my training actually. So the hygiene and therapy students at Newcastle um, taught the BDS a little bit about supragingival scaling. Okay. And I remember I had a group of five dental students <laughs> teaching them how to scale, <laughs> uh, showing them what, what scaler to use and where. Um, and it was actually one of my tutors that said, have you ever thought about becoming a tutor? Get some experience, but then would love to have you back as a, as a tutor at the hospital. Mm-hmm. Um, and it never left me and I thought, yeah, like I really enjoyed that session. It was a, a snippet. Um, yeah. It was maybe a couple of hours, but I really enjoyed it. So it never left me. I, I just always thought I needed more experience. And then you, you never think that you have enough experience. So you always think I need more, I need more, I need more. Um, so and then it's, they it's their loss and our gain, I think. Exactly, really. yeah, exactly. I never went, never went back up home um, and applied for the Eastman. I was very nervous at the interview. <laughs> but you got it. But I got it, but I got it, yeah. I think we can all relate to that, definitely. I think, uh, again, from my own experience, it definitely, to be able to teach something, you definitely need to have in-depth knowledge of that. And that makes you a better clinician just in that process. And I definitely agree with what you said previously about valuing your knowledge and valuing your skills and coming back and seeing students and imparting that knowledge and seeing you know, maybe we don't all remember those two and a half hour checkup appointments that we had right at the start, but seeing that and realizing, do you know what, you know, I've got a lot of experience, a lot of knowledge, one, that I should appreciate more and two, that I can now impart on these other people. I think it's yeah, a lovely It's a experience. real privilege, isn't it? I think to, it's pr- to see those light bulb moments in your students where you are teaching them something and all of a sudden they just, that, that penny clicks and they go, oh yeah, I got it. And, you know, I, I certainly did it recently with a student and because we're wearing masks now, you're uh, eyebrows, all of the time, yeah. you're, you're having to sort of gauge that light bulb moment by looking at somebody in their eyes. And, and it's, it's, I think it's a great privilege. I do think being clinical also helps a lot um, because you keep up to date with the latest things. Yes. Um, and you, you can apply things. Well, I do this in practice. This is what I do. Well, it's what yeah. you did yesterday. It's what exactly, you're going yeah. to do tomorrow. It's what you're exactly. saying to them to do today. So following on from that, so how do you think, do, do you think that being in education does influence your daily practice? And can you talk about how, if that's the case? I don't think it influences my daily practice in the sense that I'm still probably the clinician that I always have been. Mm-hmm. Um, you're right in the sense that there are some things that I now know in a lot of detail. <laughs> and it's almost retraining myself to think, okay, this this patient isn't a student. Uh, they aren't gonna have the knowledge. I need to put this in more, more layman's terms. Mm-hmm. Um, I think what has been quite interesting from, from my journey is that yes, through social media, um, I've had some companies reach out, I think, partly because I'm a dental therapist, but partly because I'm an educator, um, different avenues that I would never have thought a therapist would be associated with um, for more of like a public health 
promotion um, kind of role. So I've worked with some brands on maybe sexual health and the mouth. Um, and that's a topic we never discuss. Mm -hmm. I know we do as in our um, undergraduate program here at the Eastman, but I never got any training in sexual health. It was about obviously infection control with HIV, but not a lot about how that would present in the mouth. Um, but do you think that's because things have changed in that context in the sense that we know much more about the fact of oral health directly being impacted by general health? Yeah, I I, th I do think so. I mean, obviously, there's loads of systemic diseases now that we're talking about Alzheimer's and things. Um, but it just highlights our role. Again, we're not just that machine in, in the broom cupboard down the bottom of the corridor. We do have so much more to offer. Um, and it's about obviously taking on those opportunities. So along those lines, uh, we've asked quite a few people the same question. If we were going to give you one of those big billboards in Piccadilly Circus and you can put any dental message that you want on there, what message would you want to get out to everybody? The public in terms of an oral health message? Yeah. Brush your teeth. <laughs> <laughs> that simple. Um, yeah, keep it simple. <laughs> yeah, keep it simple. Keep it simple. I mean, the message is simple, um, but, you know, it's surprising, especially with kind of, the economic environment that we're in not everyone's going to be able to do that mm -hmm. so let's just keep it simple brush twice a day two minutes with a fluoridated toothpaste <laughs> <laughs> so we asked you right at the start if you remember um what three words you'd use to describe that early stage of your career and i'm intrigued that you've gone through this journey and there's, there have been a lot of steps of this journey and lots of uh different directions and different changes uh, what, what three words would you describe where you're at now opportunity is one um going back to that point where i thought disillusioned i wasn't is this where i want to go is dental hygiene actually the career for me whereas now i think there is so much opportunity for therapists um and hygienists we have people actively advocating for the role now mm -hmm. people are aware the public are becoming more aware of our role and our importance um so i think there are a lot more opportunities coming our way two um i want to say contentment i know i don't maybe seem content but um i think just being content in your journey um yes push forward you know be that be that best person that you're going to be but you've got to enjoy the ride as well. Um, if there's no point in doing it if you're going to be really unhappy. Mm -hmm. um, you've got to make sure you're doing it for the right reasons and you're doing it for yourself. And probably valued. Okay. Um, Perhaps once more with meaning. I mean, you know, yeah. you feel valued. It's kind of, it's kind of like a, quite an emotional thing when you say, what, how, what three words do you sum up yourself now? Yeah. I feel valued. I think people actually... Um, value my opinion, value me and the team, um, whether that's my experience, obviously different mm -hmm. journeys, everyone brings everything different to the table. Um, but I just feel a lot more valued now, feel happy, confident, yeah. content. That's great. Couldn't ask for anything And more. we are definitely appreciative <laughs> of you. So you are definitely valued in this department, that's for sure. And then finally, we touched on this earlier a little bit. But what are your plans for the future? Obviously, there's this postgrad education element that you still yeah. got a few years left to get through. But after that, what, 
where do you see yourself going? What what are your plans? Probably goes against my PDP, which I should have everything <laughs> planned out and what I should be doing at what year. I think f- for now, it's again, enjoying the journey on my um, educational doctorate, enjoying the journey within the role of education. Obviously we have transitioned from a diploma to a BSc. Mm-hmm. Um, that in itself has been an experience. I've gained a lot from that. Yeah. Clinical practice again is changing. Um, we're doing a lot more in practice, obviously implementing therapy maybe where we wouldn't have five years ago. I don't know in five years time, I really don't know where I'm going to be. Hopefully I would have finished my doctorate. Um, if I don't, do you know what, then it's fine. Like I'm, ha- I'm, ha- I'm happy to say I've, I've tried it and maybe um, it hasn't gone the way I wanted it to go. And I feel okay with that. I think just ensuring that I'm still happy and I'm still in a comfortable position um, is m- my goal really. God, it should be a goal for all of us, really, yeah. shouldn't it? Hundred percent. Keep it simple. Again, go yeah. back to that message. <laughs> Just making sure that I'm I'm happy in my job um, is really important to me. And it's exciting to know that there's different opportunities there. Absolutely, yeah. I, I think you just need and to... inspiring. You know, I mean, really, you are you are somebody to admire to be admired. Thank you very much. Definitely. Thank you. Thank you very much for coming in, Ben. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you. Thank you for having me. We hope you've enjoyed listening to this episode. We would love to hear your suggestions for future guests. Remember to follow us on social media using hashtag the Eastman Dental Podcast. And if you like what you hear, please like, share, subscribe and listen out for future episodes. Listener.